father's tent There you are You're running for your life You're a shooting star And all the years No one knows Just how hard you worked But now it shows In one shining moment It's all on the line One shining Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coach Kevin Furtado. Hey, if you want to know who are the best high school basketball coaches and leaders in our country are, you need to stay tuned and listen to the Championship Vision Podcast. We have some of the most renowned and best high school basketball coaches and PE teachers from around the country. Coaches you might not have heard of, but have amazing ideas. And I firmly believe every coach in America has genius within them. It's not all about the state championships. It's about the impact you have on your kids and your community. So stay tuned to the Championship Vision Podcast. Coaches, welcome to the Championship Vision Podcast. This is Coach Kevin Furtado. This is episode 159. Today we have Ernie Yarborough, Assistant Executive Director, Coordinator of Officiating for the Georgia High School Association in Thomaston, Georgia. Ernie has worked for the DHSA since 2002, and his main responsibility is overseeing the officiating department for all sports. He also is the sport coordinator for basketball, baseball, and softball. He assists in the administration of many championship events. He often represents the Georgia High School State Association at state, regional, and national sports-related conferences. Ernie and his wife, Cindy, have two wonderful children, Sean and Chelsea, and are the proud grandparents of Hampton. Ernie was born in Alameda, California, and raised in Awaso, Oklahoma. He and Cindy reside in Midtown Atlanta near the Fox Theater. A Vietnam-era veteran of the U.S. Navy, Ernie was a college division football All-American at the University of San Diego in 1973. He attempted a professional football career with three different teams, the Colts, Saints, and Chargers. Ernie worked for 13 years in player development in the NFL, Buccaneers, Cardinals, and Jets. He coached and taught for six years at the high school level and 10 years at the college level. College level. Whittier College, Cal State, Pomona, and Emory University. Actively involved with fast pitch softball for 45 years as a player, coach, and administrator, Ernie currently serves on the Georgia ASA State Board as Assistant JO Commissioner and Coaches Liaison. He also operates the Georgia Academy of Softball in Petrie City. Ernie officiated high school and college basketball for 30 years and officiated international practice games for the 1996 Olympics. He was the director of officiating for the first women's professional basketball league, the ABL, from 1996 to 99. Ernie's hobbies include conducting new sports camp. And he has more than 2,000 DVDs, which he loves to watch in the theater room and he and Cindy's Lake House. 
coaches, I think you're really going to enjoy uh, talking to Ernie. We're going to talk, you know, currently about what's going on with the Georgia High School and the guidelines set by um, uh, the association on summer workouts and what the plans are for this year for the fall sports, the winter sports, and the spring sports. So we we know there's going to be a lot of adaptations and changes, and um, I'm really going to kind of pick his brain on uh, officiating on what makes a good official. So I think you're really going to enjoy this podcast, Inside Look into the Georgia High School Association with Ernie Yarborough. Ernie, welcome. Ernie, good morning. Good morning. Are you there? I am. Can you hear me okay? I can. Oh, that's great. That's great. Hey, sorry to get you up on a, a Saturday morning. I know you wanted to sleep in. No, <laughs> yeah, you know, when you get to be my age, there's not many days where you sleep in, but no, that's right. I'm up and early. All right. Great. Great. Well, I appreciate you joining me. Um, I had the great, op- great opportunity the other day to talk to uh, Dr. Kurt Miller, um, who's coming out kind of our way out here in the Oconee area to uh, be the athletic director. And he, he, that was great. I always enjoy kind of picking y'all brain and so forth, calling coaches from around the country and so forth. So just it helps me become a better coach, right? Sure. I, I you know, I, all the years that I coached, I, I tried to be a sponge. I tried to absorb as much as I could from all of the people that I respected in, in the industry. Yeah. And you've had some great experience. I really enjoyed kind of studying you and kind of researching uh, what you've done. You've done, you have quite a bit of experiences I want you to share with us and so forth. And hopefully it'll help coaches like myself become better because that's what it's all about, just trying to improve as a coach. Talk about, if you could, Coach, um, growing up in sports, because I know you did, and how that shaped you throughout your playing career, which you had a great playing career, and now as an administrator. Well, uh, honestly, I did I did not grow up, unlike, unlike uh, <laughs> Dr. Miller, I did not grow up in a sports – oriented family. Um, my, my mother was a nurse and my, my dad was a blue collar worker. And the, my involvement in sports at, at a young age came at a price. Uh, my father always felt like if there was something that you wanted bad enough that, that you would do other things to ensure you were able to do it. And so the agreement I had with him at a very young age was if I wanted to be involved in sports, I had to get a job. And so the first job I had, and uh, for young people like your folks, it's hard to imagine. First job I had was riding my bicycle at about five o'clock in the morning, tossing newspapers around the neighborhood. Exactly. <laughs> you know, then it, it, my love of sports, um, you know, we all have sports heroes. I had those. Um, but my love of sports came from, the people that taught me, the coaches, uh, my teachers in school, I, I always enjoyed education. Um, I wasn't a great student, but um, I was a good student. But I loved, I loved the instruction that I got from the folks that, um, that I admired and the folks that I respected. And those were always teachers and coaches. And at a very young age, I, uh, you know, when People ask you as, as a child, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, and people say, oh, a policeman, a doctor, an attorney. It, I always said I want to be a teacher. And at, again, 
Uh, it was because of the people that influenced my life uh, in a very positive way. And even uh, I think back to when I was a young child and uh, going to vacation Bible school and my uh, vacation Bible school teachers had a great impact on me also. So it, I wanted to be that same kind of person. I wanted to, as much as I could, have a positive impact on young people's lives. So there was one direction that I knew that I could do that. Uh, effectively, and I could do it in great numbers, and that was in education and coaching. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> coaches have more impact on kids, don't you think, Ernie, than probably, I mean, and teachers as well, but it seems like coaches, we have the opportunity, we have a great audience of kids that are really eager to learn, so we have a lot of responsibility to impact these kids in a positive way, don't we? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, whenever I speak to youth groups, um, I always make the statement and some parents don't like it, but <laughs> as coaches, we spend more time with your kids than you do. And, and especially in the current culture where, you know, when kids get home from practice, um, you know, they don't sit around like, like we did when I was a kid and, and, you know, sit and even watch TV together as a family in the evenings, you know, they go to their bedroom, they get on their computer or they get on their mm -hmm. iPhone and For sure. they're, they're isolated from that interaction with their family members. So yes, absolutely. Coaches have so much influence on our, on the youth of today, because again, we spend more time with the kids than the parents do. Yeah, that, that, that's very true. And, and which person had a tremendous impact on you? I always ask every person I interview and so forth, or which person like really, I mean, has a direct influence on how you kind of run your, run your life today? Anybody is a youth or anybody recently? Well, there is. Um, you know, I think back to my high school days, and I think of my high school <laughs> basketball coach, um, Ted Van Curen, in a little town, well, it, it was a little town at one time, uh, Owasso, Oklahoma. Uh, it's now almost, uh, it, it is a suburb of Tulsa, so it's grown quite <laughs> a bit. And, and I think of, of Coach Van Curen and what a great person he was. He was, you know, not only was he a good coach, but he was just a great citizen. And, and I always appreciated that from him. Um, my college, uh, my position coach when I was in college, who ended up becoming uh, my agent when I was trying to make it in pro football. Um, his name is Eric Widmark and Eric had as much influence on me growing up um, and trying to become a better person as anybody in my life. And then recently, um, Dr. Swearingen. Um, Dr. Swearingen and I go back many, many years. Uh, it's interesting. I coached at a, at a, private liberal arts college in Southern California called Whittier College. And sure. Dr. Swearingen actually graduated from Whittier College and somehow both of us found our way to, to Georgia uh, later on <laughs> in life. And, you know, Dr. Swearingen, I, it, one time I was asked what, you know, what he meant to me and, and, and why I respected him so greatly. And it, Dr. Swearingen, one of those guys that just makes you want to be a better person. Um, and so he was, and, you know, I've been very blessed in my 20 years there at the high school association to have had terrific leadership, uh, Dr. Swearingen for many years, Gary Phillips for a few years, and now Dr. Hines. And 
Dr. Hines is is brought such a um, a breath of fresh air into the whole atmosphere. And you know, one thing about him, um, he's about as transparent as you'd ever want someone to be. He doesn't hide anything. He tells you what it is, and he tells you what he believes is right. And you know, I think that's that's the best way to be. You know, don't you know, folks are folks are going to draw a line and stand on one side or the other, but at least be honest to yourself. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, that's words of wisdom right there, Ernie. And you guys have a tough job in the Georgia high school because it's hard to please parents and coaches. I mean, you guys have a tough job. I really admire what you guys are doing. You're really trying to set the standards and the ethics for high school athletics. That's not an easy job, is it? No, it's really not. And, you know, you mentioned the the, the P word, parents. And um, as you know, being an educator, that whole dynamic with parents' involvement has changed over the last 10 to 15 years. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I'm saying that sometimes parents are very short-sighted. Uh, they don't understand, like, even some, some of our coaches in the state and some of our administrators don't understand. We've got 470 schools. When, when, right. when we deal with policy, when we deal with, you know, our – uh, the guidelines within our white book, it's for all 470 schools. And when we start making exceptions for this school or that school that aren't in line with what the policies are within that white book, then we set ourselves up for trouble. And so we don't always, you know, it's, it's kind of something that I follow. I don't always say what you want to hear, but I say what's right. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you can't please everybody, right, Ernie? No, <laughs> that, you, I know. No, there, there, <laughs> and if you try to, you're making a mistake. Right, right. And I think young coaches, that's probably, I'm sure if you were talking to a bunch of young coaches, and I had to learn the hard way myself too uh, after so many years. Talk about now, you guys are under tremendous stress. You just put out the guidelines for the summer workouts and so forth. I bet you guys were stressed out with I know it's tough. There's no best way for this because – this is all novel. This is all new, particularly now we're starting the uh, conditioning June 8th. Can you help the coaches that listen here in Georgia kind of refresh some of the guidelines that you guys just established? Well, you know, we, we did send that out to all the schools. And and, and I want to say that, you know, Dr. Hines uh, and our, uh, you know, our, our sports medicine committee worked really, really hard on that for, an, for a long time. They've been working on it for over a month now because in hopes that sooner than later, there would be some level of return to participation. And so they, they worked very hard with the governor's staff on sports medicine too, to make sure that we were in line with the governor because as you well know, the majority of our schools are, are public schools. Um, right. And so, you know, we did not want to step outside of what the governor was recommending or what his staff was recommending. And so, you know, Dr. Hines and his group of sports medicine folks, and he, you know, he, he spoke to people at the University of Georgia. He spoke to people in other states, uh, other executive directors, spoke to people at the national office, wanted to make sure that we were in line. And so when they put that out, uh, you know, it was originally set, as the governor had said, it was originally set to go June 1st. 
and our board of trustees at our, our meeting earlier this week just felt like that um, some of the schools and some of the school systems, especially the larger school systems, that they needed a little more time to prepare for it. And so that's why the, the starting date was revised to June 8th. And it's really, you know, it's pretty simple. In the guidelines, it tells you, you know, the number of people you can have in a confined area, the, the social distancing that must be in place, the, the cleaning of the equipment after use. Um, and then the, I had to, I sent out something yesterday to the uh, volleyball and the softball coaches throughout the state because, as we know, they missed out on their annual spring tryout session. And so they're anxious to get those going again. But as I explained to them, the one of the restrictions right now on the return to conditioning and play is that you cannot have balls involved. So it's right. difficult for volleyball and uh, for softball to have any level of a competent tryout program without ball. So they're just going to have to wait a little bit. Um, we're still going to allow them to have their five weekdays uh, to conduct their tryouts during the summer with the exception of the dead week. The dead week is still in place. That has not been lifted. Sure. Um, so, you know, at moving forward, it's, it's, we got to take baby steps right now before we can take off running because the most important thing in all of this is the safety of our children. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, the numbers, I think right now, Ernie, the numbers are still kind of – they kind of uh, plateaued a little bit, but they're not going down. So it's, 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 it is – there is still a lot of big fear factor. And, the, man, the virus is still here, which is very scary. But we as coaches have to take precautions because we're dealing with kids, and we got to really guide them in the right way, right? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think that's one of the things – and. uh I was talking to my son the other day because he is a athletic director in a big recreation um, program up in uh, Cherokee County. And, you know, they're, they're doing, they're being more restrictive than some of the other parks and recreations. They're not opening their parks yet. And the thing that I tried to explain to him is, you know, I told him this virus is not going away. It's not going to all of a sudden just disappear. And until we actually have a vaccine, it's going to be like some of the other viruses, you know, in, in years ago that it didn't go away until we had a vaccine. And so right. we've got to make sure that we're doing everything we can until that day comes that we can deal with it. And once uh, someone is infected, that, that we have a vaccine that will that will get them well as as quickly as possible. We we've got to be as cautious as we can. Yeah, and you mentioned a good word, and so did Doctor Miller, because I, I was kind of you know probing him and so forth, and he says, "Coach, be patient. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to be patient." And that that's so true in the sense that because you don't want to you don't want to take that risk, do you? No, and 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 I hate it for the coaches. I mean, I. I, it hasn't been that long since I coached, and, and I can imagine just in the coaches that I that I speak to on a daily basis since everything was quarantined, I can imagine what they're going through. Um, you know, they're they're used to having summer programs where they're they're involved in their kids' life every day, and it's uh, it's got to be tough on the coaches. I know it's tough on the kids, and your kids just yeah. want to play. You know, the kids just want to get out and play. You roll a ball out and kids are going to play. 
And so I know that it's tough on the kids, but it's really tough on the coaches too. And, you know, unfortunately we had to cancel our big, uh, you being a basketball coach would certainly understand. We had to cancel our big summer NCAA recruiting event. Um, right. You know, we had 200, we had 200 schools that were going to be participating in that. And we had to cancel it. And because the NCAA pushed their dead period for recruiting, uh, into and past the dates that we had that scheduled. So we, you know, we are hoping with that, that uh, once the NCAA comes out with new recruiting uh, deadlines or dates for their, for their coaches, that we may be able to do it in some fashion later on. But, you know, I, I know that there are a lot of coaches that were looking forward to that event, um, you know, in June that we had to cancel. So I, I, I certainly feel for the coaches um, and the players, but I know the, I know coaches mentality and, you know, I've been there and I, I know that coaches very much and especially successful coaches have a routine and it's a routine that they follow every year and they have plans in place. And so right now all of that's been disrupted. Yeah. But uh, also, I mean, I think it, it's on us too. And that is, a great coach can adapt, right, Ernie? And we have to be creative in, because I, you know, now, you know, I have, you know, my players are doing, you know, Zoom workouts and things like that. I'm, and it's good for kids to learn how to work out on their own. I think we've, now we grew up like that, Ernie. And, and I think now is a great time for our kids to be creative and work out on their own. I, I hate to say that. I guess I'm more old school, but I think we've learned something from this. Well, no, I, and I think you're right. Um, you know, we did, you know, I, I, and, and even though I'm older than you, I can remember my, my mom and dad used to have to, it'd be almost dark and my mom and dad would have to tell me, Hey, you know, Ernie, you got to come inside. You got to take a bath so you, so you can get ready to go to bed. Um, you know, they had to pull us off the court, so to speak, uh, to get us inside. But, um, you know, one, you, you made a, you made a statement that that I that I do uh, every time I spoke to players that I coaches coached. Every time I speak to coaches groups, I always state the greatest athletes and the greatest coaches have a trend, tremendous ability to adapt and adjust. And you know that's that's what's being tested right now by not only our players but also our coaches. Yeah, I totally agree, and I think coaches now, particularly now even in the conditioning workouts and we're going to have to be really smart, you know, different types of spots and we got to make sure, you know, we have the mask and all that, but I think you can be creative in your workouts. Uh, Basketball coaches, I I think there's no excuses, Um, but Hey, we're going to have to kind of figure this out and hopefully our goal, right? Your goal is for you, for Georgia high school sports to come back in the fall, hopefully. Right. That's correct. We haven't changed any of our starting dates. Um, and we hope that we don't have to, uh, you know, it's, it's again, even though we have to be conscious and, and overly uh, safe about, about this virus condition, you want to try to, you know, retain as much normality as possible. You know, one of the things that I'm dealing with, and it's a big responsibility of mine, and it's also a great passion of mine, is the officiating side of sports. You know, through through what's going on right now, a lot of people, well, it's affecting the coaches, it's affecting the players, but guess what? It's having an impact on our sports officials too, 
you know, people, a lot of people don't realize and they don't want to accept that, you know, that 95% of high school officials also have a full-time job. Right. And they do it either as a passion or they do it as a, as a second source of, of income. And, you know, we have training programs, as you well know, we have uh, training camps that we conduct during the summers and all of those, you know, are related to team activities. And, and so a great deal of that has been curtailed and, and we're having to come up with other options on how we make sure that, that we're working with our officials to make sure that whenever play is resumed, you know, they're ready to go. And, you know, one of the things I know about basketball, cause I spoke to our basketball uh, group coordinators recently and, and, and even our softball group coordinators, I, I said, look, you need to contact once it's been cleared for actual team activities and putting a ball on the court or putting a ball on the field, you need to talk to your, your coaches that you cover their games. And if any of them are having a, a team type uh, activity during the summer where they're bringing in teams and there's competition and they're playing, contact them and let them know we want to provide officials so that our officials can also get work in and, um, and be prepared for the season once it does start in the in the fall. Yeah, and that's a great point. I, I really want to transition into officiating, Ernie. And uh, a good friend of mine is Andy Coward. I know you know Andy really well. Um, I mean, what a great official. I don't think there's too many officials like Andy Coward out there. And the reason why I say that is when he's refereed my games, totally professional, very courteous, um, and just he just I just I call him a true pro official. Um, are, are there is that what you're kind of you're that's what you're really looking that's what you're trying to groom right in your training and so forth. Guys like Andy Cower who just they're just total professionals on the referee side. Well, you're right, and and Andy is you know not only is Andy an excellent official, Andy <laughs> is just a a quality citizen. He and he is such an asset to the Georgia High School Association. He is our, you know, our basketball rules interpreter. He is our basketball liaison to the national office for rules. Um, he is my camp coordinator. So he oversees all of the different training mm-hmm. camps that we have. Uh, he writes our rules exam. Um, and he just is such a tremendous asset. He, a lot of people don't know also, he is our liaison for swimming and diving because Right. <laughs> he, was a, he was a swimmer when he was went to school at Georgia Southern. Um, but, yeah, we're looking for people like Andy, people that have a passion for it, uh, people that are eager to learn. I know that uh, when I officiated basketball, uh, I didn't think anything of the requirement. I went to a camp every year for 30 years. And, you know, it's just what I thought I had to do and it's what I wanted to do because I always wanted to get better. And Andy's that kind of person, but we've got a number of Andys around the state in all of our sports. We've, we've got tremendous people like Andy that are great assets to the high school association that, you know, they go unnoticed. Um, Some people think that officials are a necessary evil. Well, they're necessary, but they're not evil. Uh, We'll tell you this, that, and, and I, I stake my, my name and my reputation on it. 99% 99% of our officials are honorable people. They do not, they do not go into a game 
thinking that they are going to somehow disrupt the game unfairly. They, they try as hard as they can to officiate and administer the game by the rules. And sometimes people don't understand that. They think that there's other motives involved, but that's just not the case. And we are blessed in the state of Georgia in all of our sports to have high level officials that are recognized at the national level also. And our training programs are recognized at the national level. Uh, I've been on a number of national rules committees, both softball and basketball. Uh, we've, got, uh, we've got people in our office that are on the rules committees for football, for lacrosse, for volleyball. So, um, you know, our, our state is, is very highly thought of in the officiating realms. Yes, and I, I was reading um, some articles that uh, you were in and so forth about how – I forget that how many, like, football games and, and schools that have football and how many officials you need. Man, you have to train a lot of officials. I don't think people realize how many officials that you need for all the games in, in the state. Yeah, we've got – you know, and it, um, we've got almost 9,000 officials' registrations from the last year. Wow. And, and we've got a number of people. We have a new program that, that we call Valuing Our Sports Officials in Georgia. And so we have started the last couple of years recognizing folks uh, that officiate multiple sports during the season. Um, we have, you'd be surprised how many people we have that officiate three to four to sometimes five sports or activities during a current school year. Um, we have we had in the fall, for an example, we've got folks that that uh, that work softball during the week, and on a Friday night, they they put on their football outfit and they go officiate a, a football game. Um, so we do have tremendous tremendous folks. We've got our numbers are, are good, and but like you say, as we. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I'd love to help you get game results this season. Check out a free trial of my Pure Sweat training app on the Google Play and App Store today. Hi, I'm Alex Stevenson, athletic director and girls basketball coach at Dodd City. I've been at Dodd City for seven years. During those seven years, we've won seven district championships, been to six regional tournaments and three state championship games. I'm a huge fan of this podcast, what it brings and the platform that we're able to share knowledge and wisdom on and, and grow as coaches. Keep adding schools. You've got to multiply that by the number of officials you're going to need on any given night. And we're continually working to recruit officials. Uh, the national office has a program called become an official and, uh, we are number two in the nation on our efficiency on getting folks registered with our local associations that come through that program. And then we've got a state, uh, a state program here that's called playing on another team. And it's where we recruit folks. You know, you, you've got, you've obviously got basketball players that play for you that, uh, you know, once they get out of high school, they don't play in college, but, they have a good feel for the game. And though, so we're recruiting those kind of folks. We're recruiting, you know, former college athletes, uh, first responders, uh, you know, because of the discipline that's involved to, to be a yeah, fireman sure. or a police officer, 
our military folks. So we're, we're getting hard. We're working hard at getting folks recruited, but, but I will tell you, coach, getting them recruited is not the toughest part. It's keeping them. Keeping because, them. Because yeah. as you well know, um, sportsmanship is at a, is at an unacceptable level right now. Not, and not just in Georgia. I mean, nationally, it's a, it's a major concern and, it's tough when you're, you know, as use yourself an example, a, a, a tough for a kid right out of college that wants to get into officiating, they're 21, 22 years old, and they've got to go to an environment where they're going to not only be ridiculed during the game and be threatened during the game, but then all of a sudden they're going to find their name in social media somewhere. And that's that's the toughest part. We, we feel like if we can get them recruited, if we can keep them for, for three to five years, then normally they stick with it for a while. Um, but that, you know, we've got to work harder on sportsmanship. And, you know, I'm not trying to place the blame on anybody, but I have always felt that uh, the coaches, they, they are our first standard for setting good sportsmanship. And, I can tell you as many years as I officiated I, at the college level also, I can tell you that a team, the players on a team and the fans for a team are usually a direct reflection of their coach. And if you have a coach that tries to officiate more than they coach, then you've got players and spectators that do the same thing. And we've got to figure that out because otherwise we're going to get to a point where we're going to have to say, you know, Coach Kevin, I know you've got JV games scheduled, but we can't cover them because we don't have enough officials. And then all of a sudden we're going to have schools that are dropping programs because they can't get them covered. And, and that's not what we want. That's not the outcome that we want. We want to be able to uh, effectively and competently cover all the games that the schools want to schedule. Um, so we've got to work hard on making sure that we're able to keep, keep folks involved in officiating and work hard on that element of sportsmanship. Yeah, that's it's kind of a scary trend you said there, Ernie, because uh, I, I definitely feel uh, that your most experienced official, you're, you're trying to get them to become an Andy Coward where they have tremendous experience, but that that's a that's a declining trend. It sounds like so it's up to us coaches to act in the uh, the appropriate way. I, I want you to coach us up because. I think you know what I try to do, and I, I believe me, I'm not perfect by any means. Um, I try to develop a rapport with the officials as they come in and so forth. And I know a lot of the officials because I've been refereeing. I mean, I've been coaching for a long time. But isn't that important for coaches and administrators to develop that rapport or as soon as they walk in the door? That's important. And then continue that class throughout the whole event. It, it is. And, and I will tell you, one of the keys – is if a coach says, okay, I've heard you, coach, then that means they heard what you said. Don't keep going. Don't keep needling right. them. Because then if they say, coach, I've heard enough, that's it, then you know what happens the next time. And so we don't want it to get to that. And, and I think coaches, I used to always say, you know, when I officiated, and, and you as a basketball coach know this more than some other sports, once you see my five-finger stop sign, that means I've heard enough. 
You know, when I put that hand up and say, that's it, coach, that means I've heard enough. And so then if if a coach continues, then they've got to expect what's coming. And and that's never good for the game. Um, I hate hate the number of game reports that I get regularly, and especially when it's from a – it's on a coach – and then it states what the coach, why the game report was issued. And it's coaches, I, I don't know why they think they can. And I know myself as a young coach, uh, I had to learn it. Coaches don't win, win <laughs> with officials. They just don't. I mean, you're not going to win that argument. So, you know, I think there's one thing that I always tell coaches that they need to learn. And that is there's a difference between conversation and confrontation. If you right, develop right. that skill, you know, you, I know that you, you interviewed uh, Dr. Miller and it's, it's really interesting for me to, to call him Dr. Miller because I officiated much of his games when he was in high school. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Give me the details. Not those kid that never thought that he committed a foul, but he's turned into a terrific, terrific grown man. Um, but his dad was his dad was such a treat to officiate for, and one of the stories I like to tell about about the coach senior coach Miller is that uh, I had a game at when he was at Henry County, and we're running up and down the court, and and had a call on one end that went against him, and he didn't really say a whole lot, and and then we come down the other end of the court a few plays later, and and uh, he's. I'm right in front of him. I'm in that position that's called the trail position, which means it puts you right in front of the coach during free throw administration. And, and right. uh, he said, and he said to me, and he said, now Ernie, he said, no, I don't, I don't want a technical foul. No, no, I don't want you to give me a technical foul. So, so just don't give me a technical foul. And I said, well, coach, I, what are you talking about? I, I don't intend to give you a technical foul. He said, well, don't give me a technical foul but that was a horrible call down on the other end of court. Uh, you know, he didn't, he didn't <laughs> right. use all those uh, words. He, he was a little more uh, explicit <laughs> than that, but uh, yeah. you know, I think about guys like that. There were, you know, coach Miller, Ron Bell, who was at Marist for years, you know, Ron would always, it, usually if Ron said, <clears throat> Ernie, I think you missed a call on the other end. You know what? I used to think, you know, he's probably right. I may have. Um, because of just the way that he presented um, his concerns during a game. He, he didn't yell. He didn't scream. He didn't, you know, offer a bunch of physical gyrations and jump up and down and do all that crazy stuff. He just would, he, in a very professional way, would say, you know, I'm not sure that was the right call, or can you can you tell me what you saw down there that I didn't see? Um, so, again, uh, Every young coach, the one of the first things they need to learn is, and it doesn't matter what sport it is, is there's a difference between conversation and confrontation. Right. Yeah, and that's a great point right there. And, uh, you know, give us some advice, too. Uh, I, I feel like if you had a clinic and uh, there's clinics on X's and O's and drills and so forth and a clinic on how to treat officials – I don't think there would be too many coaches in there. Isn't that a sad, is case, a sad case for us it, coaches? It, it is. Um, but we it, need it. It is, Coach. And, and I'll tell you, as you well know, and there's a guy who, you know, who uh, like, like Dr. Miller talked about, his father used to 
sit around and find napkins and pieces of paper anywhere to draw X's and O's. I used to do the same thing. But as you well know, I mean, think about it. In the, you're in the game of basketball, but in the game of football, even though those sports are, are ever evolving, you know what? Some of the stuff that they run now that uh, in the NFL is stuff that that teams were running many, many years ago. They just call it something different. <laughs> and so you're not going to invent a bunch of new stuff with X's and O's. But what you can work on is you can work on the other side of the game, and that's the mental part of it with in, in working, like you say, understanding the elements of officiating. And uh, it's sad that you're right uh, that we if, if, if I sent out something to every basketball coach in the state of Georgia and said, we want you to attend our next officials clinic or officials camp, there'd be very few that would show up. But it, it would be the one that it's needed most because and I think I think all, all of us need work on that. Do you feel proximity for referees and coaches, how you talk to an official um, can be non-confrontational, right? I mean, so if I talk to an official, I get side by side with him and I try not to be confrontational and you try to make it a conversation. I think I've learned that over the years. It just took a lot of experience watching good coaches um, so don't you think that's important proximity? And it's also good for officials not to be confrontational. Oh, it too, it is. And trust me, you know, when I, uh, one of the, on the other side of the game report, as you well know, is we have what's called an unsatisfactory <laughs> officiating report. And there's two, there's two elements involved in that report. One is judgment and the other is uh, professional behavior, um, or professionalism. And when it, when I get the ones that talk about judgment, uh, I will, you know, I will make sure that I address that with the local association that, you know, have, have you done enough work and, you know, let's say block charge in basketball, have you done enough work to educate your folks on, you know, how to determine whether it's a block or a charge? Because uh, in this game report, it appears that there were uh, seven of those kind of calls. And on each one, when you look at the game tape, uh, it shows that they were called incorrectly. You know, that's one thing, because that's a teaching point. On the side of professionalism, right. I give those much more attention because I, I've always said, and when I even when I was officiating and I'd work with a younger official and, you know, we've had, we'd have a coach that was, that was acting up and, and um, you know, somebody that a coach that had lost their, their mind on the sideline, and then we talk at halftime and, and the young official would say to me, well, how, you know, how do you deal with that kind of stuff? And I always had one pat statement. What happens as an official if we allow our emotions to get to the same level as a coach? It's not good. And so you have to learn as an official that you have to keep emotion out of what you do. You just have to. There can't be any emotion involved. And if we if I get those reports that are that are factual and validated that there was unprofessional behavior. Those are the ones that really get my attention um, because there shouldn't there should never be a situation where an official acts unprofessionally. Yeah, and and I am going to ask you kind of a controversial question because I do notice this as as coaches and players, 
as the season progresses, we get fatigued and we make mistakes. I think us coaches probably make a lot more mistakes than the officials, and that's just being transparent with you. My, my players do the same. Um, do you think officials, as the season progresses, so let's say you know we're we're working on the hand check call, whatever, and 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 as the season progresses, the game gets more physical, so that same call is not being made. Is that is that through fatigue? Ernie, or um, it, what, well, what happens there? I think your good officials are consistent. Well, and, and I year. don't think it's so much fatigue as it is. I think as – and, again, I, I'm, I'm saying um, in an effort to answer your your question, I'm, I'm trying to think through the minds of other individuals. But if that is the case, I would think that probably an official later in the season would think, well, you know, we've we've established all these guidelines early that what's a, what's allowed and what's isn't, and what we're going to put a whistle on and what we're not going to put a whistle on, and so we're at a point right now in the season where we don't want the official's whistle to dictate the flow of the game, and sometimes that happens. I, I will tell you this: that once the postseason starts, um, you know, we have a program that that where their officials have to do, there's a criteria involved for them to be eligible to even work postseason games. And so what you get later in the season, once you get to the postseason part of it is, is you get officials that are call it by the book much more than other officials made during the regular season. And fatigue can be involved because we've got, uh, you know, because of the numbers, 90% 90% of our, you know, your varsity games, you've got the same officials working your boys game and your girls game. Right. And, sure. You know, and me, I, <laughs> when I started officiating uh, in Southern California, when I was living out there, you worked one game a night and that was it. But also you know, look at the numbers we had out there. We don't have those kind of numbers here. And so our officials in basketball have to work, have to work, back to back games in in many cases. Um, so fatigue may be involved. It, it, you know I, I hate to say it, but i've I've seen it myself, I think, and again, we're talking about basketball. Sometimes you know when you've got a boys, you being a girls coach, sometimes you think that that uh, they're not as focused during your game as they are in the boys game. I mean, it, it, have you ever felt um, that because i've had I've had coaches that have, that have presented that to me that, Oh, I think they work harder in the boys game than they do the girls game. Well, I know officiating stuff and I know the girls game is different than the boys game. Um, I do notice that they call it just, just a little bit tighter in the boys game. Uh, the girls game is called a little bit looser, but I mean, that's, uh, but you mentioned a great point with in the playoffs, man, the difference in officiating is like night and day. And I appreciate referees that are really – I'd rather have them blow the whistle more for us to kind of know how the game's called. Don't you agree? I mean, I appreciate that. But Yeah, and we – you know, one of the things that we try to teach, and and not just in in basketball, but, you know, a lot of people don't understand the difference in basketball. It's a very close proximity. Coaches, players, officials are all within that – that 90 by 50 space 
and then you've got spectators that are right on top of you. There's not that distance that you may have in football or soccer or, you know, one of the sports that are played outdoors in a big field. And so um, I, I, I always, I, I try to, you know, when I work with officials and I know that, that my training people do also, we try to make them understand if you call the illegal contact early in a game, then you are setting the tone for how the game's going to be called. But if you're sure. not going to call it early, you really set a bad precedent. And then all of a sudden you start calling it late in the game because, you know, as a coach and I've heard it, you know, I've, I've heard people say it from the stands. I've, well, you weren't calling that in the first quarter. Why are you calling it in the fourth? Um, so you do need to set that standard early, and, and that's what we hope that, that our top-level officials are doing. And then we hope that our, our newer, younger learning officials are, are, are being mentored to do the same thing and, um, you know, so that there is a consistency in, in the way that it's called. I, I, wish that, I wish that it wasn't so apparent, as you said, that the game is called different in the postseason than it is during the regular season. I wish it wasn't. But guess what? It's the same rules. It's the same set of rules. It's the yeah. same set of guidelines. And I wish that it wasn't called differently, but, you know, you as a coach recognize that it is, and, and I hear that all the time. And so we've just got to continue to work hard to, to help our officials understand that, you know, that's all that coaches are looking for. Coaches are just looking for consistency, and I, and I truly believe that. I don't think that coaches are looking for an edge one way or the other. I think they're just looking for the game, whatever the game is, to be called consistently. You know, in baseball and softball, there's a strike zone. Well, just call that strike zone consistently. Yeah, and I agree with that. But um, and I'm and I'm going to be transparent in the sense that a lot of the our mistakes, like with fouls, that's me not coaching my team well enough and my players making mistakes. So I, I think if you go back to a lot, watch a lot of games is it's usually the players mistakes. It's not the, very rarely. Then there's some referee mistakes here and there, but I think a lot of it is our coaches. We have to look at ourselves on teaching our kids not to foul, not to do, not to have traveling violations. Don't you think, I think the coaches need to take more of a, uh, of an impact on how, how their team's playing. Well, I, you know, I agree with you, Coach, but, I, I, again, you're working with 14- to 18-year-old kids um, and at many different skill levels, at, at many different physical attribute levels, and, you know, it's just – I think your job is tougher. I think that on the officiating side <laughs> of it, we're dealing with adults and um, – Adults that we hope have a passion to do things the right way, uh, administer the game according to the rules. And, you know, so I, I think your job is tough. I mean, I know I've been there. It, it, it is tough. It's, you know, and if coaches aren't um, providing a detail, you know, a, a detailed effort on fundamentals, then, yeah, it becomes much tougher. I, I wasn't, I, I don't know that I was a great coach, but. I hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and I've been working hard to build an online basketball school to help players and coaches. I'd love for you to check it out at puresweatbasketball.com. 
Hello, my name is Rory Hamilton. I'm the head girls basketball coach at Norman North High School in Norman, Oklahoma. If you're looking for top-notch basketball coaching instruction and help, look no further than the Championship Vision Podcast with Coach Kevin Furtado. You can listen about our five keys to success at Norman North Girls Basketball, along with many other podcasts at championshipvision.org or listen on Spotify at Championship Vision. Happy hooping. I do know this, whatever coach, whatever sport I coached, fundamentals were stressed daily. Um, sometimes coaches, as, we, as we've alluded to a couple of times, sometimes coaches get overwhelmed with X's and O's. To me, to me X's <laughs> and sure. O's are easy if kids have fundamentals, have sound fundamentals. Yeah, it's so true. And I spoke to one of the best yesterday, a uh, good friend of mine, oh, Gene yeah. Durden, and there's nobody better. Uh, and, and, you know, he's won the state championships, but there's no better no, teacher he, of the game than Gene. I, I tell it to him all the time, and um, but he's, uh, he's well, one he of a is, kind, isn't I, he? You know, he and I go back way back to his Dade County days. Uh, you know, I, I've refereed many of his games when he was there. Of course, since he's been at Buford, I, I've been in the state office, so I haven't refereed high school. Uh, ball, but um, it, I tell people a lot of times, um, you know, he doesn't always have the best athletes, but his kids are always fundamentally sound. They play well together. They are unselfish and they have one goal in mind and that's to win. And he has always right. done that. He's, I, I respect him greatly as a coach. Um, I respect the programs that he's been in and he has always, you know, whenever he's had a question about officiating, he's always presented it in a very professional way. Yeah, there's no doubt. And he's all about sharing the game. I know he's helped out so many coaches and making the game better. I would like to see more coaches really get involved in that. And uh, of course, that's one reason why I started the podcast is to, Man, there's a lot of great coaches out there, man. Let's help each other out. Hey, before you go, Ernie, you do a lot of extra stuff, man. You started flag football. That's awesome for girls. I mean, tell us about that because, I mean, that's something that's really cool. Tell us about the, well, the new flag you, football. You know, I really didn't start it. The Atlanta Falcons started it a couple of years ago, and it's been done for two years as a club sport. Uh, it started in Gwinnett County. Last year, it expanded to four or five other metro Atlanta counties. And so our board of trustees and our state executive committee, when we looked at adding a sport, we wanted to make sure that it was going to be one that was a female sport. We wanted to have, you know, a, an emphasis on on the, uh, the gender side of it. And so we had gotten a lot of positives from from the Gwinnett County folks and and, and coach, you know, Dr. Miller, they did it in Henry County last year. And so it was approved to be a sanctioned GHSA sport starting with this new current reclassification cycle. And we had, um, we had more than, uh, we started off with over 160 schools that had committed to play. And so we put them in three divisions, not the divisions we put them in are not based on classification size. It was more on geography. So they had the ease of scheduling. Um, but we, unfortunately, with the, the COVID, we've had a number of schools that have had to drop out because, you know, and, and I'm sure you're experiencing it too, with the loss of revenue from spring sports, it's really impacted 
had a negative impact on their budgets. And so um, we've right. had, uh, I think at this point, we're down to about 155. So we've had eight or nine schools that have, that have pulled out because of funding. Um, but I'm excited about it. Everybody that, when I went around last fall and visited the games and talked to the coaches and talked to the kids and the administrators, it, it, it was extremely well-received and very positive. And uh, up in Cherokee County where uh, their, their system AD, Tanya Sebring, Coach Tanya Sebring, you know, I spent a lot of time talking with her and she said, he, she told me, she said, Ernie, you'd be surprised. It's actually been a good moneymaker for us. Um, you know, when we're able to bring in three schools and play, you know, a couple of games a night at the same stadium. And then we bounce around and that the, the following schedule, we'd be at another stadium uh, or at another school in our system. Uh, it, it's actually been able to pay for itself. And um, so it's, it's been a very positive thing. I'm really excited about it. The, I just spoke to uh, Amanda Dinkle, who is the coordinator for, for the Atlanta Falcons. She's part of our team on this. And the Falcons are still uh, supporting us with this. You know, they've got bigger issues they're dealing with right now, um, whether they're going to even be able sure. to play their games with spectators in the stands. They're not even sure of that. But uh, <clears throat> it, we're excited about it. Um, I think that everybody that's that's committed to it is extremely excited about it, and uh, man, going forward, I you know we like I say we will have three champ state championships. Right now, we're scheduled to play those state championships uh, at the same stadium where we play our foot our regular football state championships at Georgia State University Stadium. We're going to play those on the sure. Thursday before uh, before the Friday and Saturday games for the boys football. So we're, we're really excited about it. We think it's going to be a really neat deal for our kids and for our schools. And, you know, we hope that in the next cycle that, that we, that it expands even more. Yeah, it's really a smart move. Cause first of all, I, I've always coached girls and I think the more opportunities you have at the girls level, I think is great. And, I have girls that can absolutely play football. They can throw, catch, run, and so forth. It's a great opportunity. I think you guys have really shown a lot of innovation there on starting that. Um, I think it's probably easier for the big schools because I know in the small schools, you know, you got soccer in the spring and so forth. So, um, But I don't know how many small schools you have, but it's probably more catered to probably well, to the big schools. Is, is that right? Or um, and it, it's because, like you say, it's number of athletes that are available at the smaller schools. But we do have some single-A schools that are doing it. Um, and the season, okay. we tried to look at a season because we know that in the fall we've got softball and volleyball and cross-country that the girls are involved in. We know in the winter you can't do it because of the elements, and plus you've got basketball uh, and even girls wrestling now. Uh, you've got cheerleading that's almost year-round now with, with dance and with game day cheerleading, you've got the numbers of female athletes that are in track and tennis and soccer mm -hmm. and lacrosse and all that in the spring. So the window that we set up is a, is a short window at the end of, towards the end of softball season and prior to, again, the state championships in football. And what I saw last year, and again, in speaking with a lot of the, uh, a lot of the teams that were playing it as a club level, 
you'd be surprised how many cheerleaders were playing. And, you know, they're pretty good athletes. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, very good athletes. There were a number of teams that had a lot of cheerleaders. Yeah. There were a number of track kids. Of course, they can they can really run. Um, and then we think that probably also because the regu- when the games start, the regular season in softball will be and volleyball will be ending. So we think that um, a number of those kids, and it's before <laughs> basketball really gets going. So. You know, we think we picked the only window of opportunity we had to make sure that that make sure that the, the schools were able to field a team. And um, you know, it's again, it's going to be our first year as a sanctioned GHSA championship sport. So there, there, we may have to tweak it. You know, uh, going forward, but we're just excited to get it started. And I know that uh, all of the schools are too, and the system ads that have their whole system playing, they're excited about it course everybody's looking for ways to fund it um you know and the falcons right. are going to help out as much as they can uh because they offered uh they had a grant program that uh, goes through their community support system so uh no but it's it's going to be a lot of fun coach I, i'm i'm excited about it yeah it's definitely a win-win situation for the falcons for uh georgia high school for all of the schools I really love the idea. Hey, my last question, Ernie, because I know you're probably going to go out and go fishing or something not today. Me. So, I'm not a um, in fact, hey, you know, I'm in the process right now. I've got <laughs> two weeks left. We we have sold our lake house, so I'll be I'll be living in the condo uh, at, at Atlantic Beach in Midtown Atlanta the rest of the time. <laughs> okay, all right, that sounds great. Um, I love what the Georgia high, I'm a big, you know, obviously I want to bring my team to Macon for the state champ. We all do. Right. But having it in one site to me is, I don't know, maybe I'm just a traditionalist, but I love the Macon Coliseum. I love having it in one site. Um, I, I would love to have Georgia public television back. I know it's a controversial question, but um, is that, is that a marriage that's going to come up or are you guys going to still stay online well, and so forth? Well, you know, that, video and that is something that our marketing people work out, but I, I, I hope people understand we did not push them out. They pulled out. Yeah, we, that was not our oh, decision. Man. We, we uh, had not uh, in any way or all of a sudden they came to us and be, they stated because of, of their budget restrictions that, uh, uh, and their contract with us, they were only going to do a certain number of things, and basketball was no longer going to be one of those. Um, we hate it too, and we hear about it every year. Um, the NFHS does does a the <laughs> NFHS network does a great job, and you know uh, we support them and they support us in a lot of ways. Um, I will tell you this, and 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 I hope I'm not speaking out of court on this, but I know that there have been talks between Dr. Hines and, and Georgia uh, public broadcasting to be involved in in some capacity. Uh, I'm not sure that we'll ever go back to the full broadcast that they had and that they were doing every year. But uh, I know that there have been some discussions and we'll just have to see how those progress. Uh, I'm with you. Having it at one site is terrific. Um, it's a great atmosphere. Uh, you know, when we, back in the days when we did certain classifications in Gwinnett and certain classifications in Macon, and then we tried it at UGA one year, at splitting it between UGA and Georgia Tech, uh, 
That is tough uh, because there are a lot of basketball <laughs> folks and, and casual basketball fans who want that experience to be able to go into a, you know, go into a city and, you know, rent a room for a few nights and just watch basketball for three or four days. And so it, it is a great experience and, and we're really excited about it. You know, we, this year we added the, the girls three point shooting contest and the boys slam dunk. And that was really yeah. well received and we'll continue to do that next year. We, we have been asked to add a boys three point shooting contest to the championships. Um, but unfortunately, I don't know that we can add a girl slam dunk. Uh, maybe, you, know, you, you may have one of those at, at the academy there that may be able to slam dunk. There's not, uh, you know, obviously there's not many of them around the state. So we're, you know, we want to provide those opportunities where kids are showcased and, and our, you know, you, you said, uh, you you stated and and I know you you even said during your broadcast with with uh, Dr. Miller that our state is loaded with talent and if you don't if people don't it believe is. it yes <laughs> uh, you may not know it but go look where some of these kids go they go to to big Division one schools they go to Division two they go to they're all over the map that that are we've got kids that are that are playing at the college level and and we've also got coaches that are tremendous high school coaches. And when you think of a guy like, like uh, coach Miller, Chuck Miller, who coached so many years, coached both boys and girls at the same time. Uh, we've got some tremendous high school basketball coaches. Coach Durden, you mentioned him earlier. Uh, and I don't want to leave anybody out. Cause I, I think, I think most of them, but uh <laughs> You know, this is this is a great basketball state. And so being able to showcase what we have in in Macon is is tremendous. And we had the uh, you know, we had the uh, the executive director of the National High School Association two years ago go come down for one of the nights at our finals. And she was just blown away with uh, with how with how it went. Yeah, it's a great event, and you're right, though. Just by having all the – you can spend the whole day there. And I know as, you know, as a coach, I, you know, you know, I, I try to go as many games as possible. I live, in, you know, near here in Greensboro, and, you know, I'm close to it and so forth in Macon. But what a great event. And the addition of the three-point contest and the slam dunk, now another great innovation because um, I'm going to have more girls try that next year. But um, – that, that's just a great event. I want you, I mean, just keep that going. I know I'm a big fan of it. And um, I, I guess the best basketball, I think the best basketball is here in, in this state, of, I, in the state of Georgia. Cause I know I talk to a lot of coaches from around the country and I keep telling them, man, we got some, we have a great, great basketball state out here. So, um, but thanks again, man, for sharing. I well, really appreciate I'm all the sure wisdom. How much of it was wisdom and, Sometimes, you know, when, when you're in it, as long as I've been in it, you, you just kind of fall on top of stuff sometimes. Uh, but, uh, no, I appreciate it, and I appreciate what you're doing. And, you know, I hope that, that you and your family are, are, are staying safe. And, you know, uh, I know I know you and your kids are anxious to get back out on the court, as many are, but let's make sure that, that we're keeping stuff safe first. Absolutely. And do you have any final words for any of the coaches out there 
just some last quick reminders and about what's coming up, what's going on. Uh, I know you already talked about this summer. Any final words for us coaches? And also, well, what's the, the best the, way to get a hold of The only thing that I would say is, is as we as restrictions are either lifted or tightened, um, you know, we again, Dr. Hines and, and his sports medicine committee, our sports medicine committee, actually it's headed up by Don Core, who's one of our associate directors uh, at the office. They are going to work closely in tune with the governor's office and, and their professionals. And as any changes come, and, you know, we hope that the restrictions are lifted, uh, as they are lifted, we will make sure and communicate that with the schools. We'll, we'll get that out as soon as we know about it. Um, don't, if, if people are saying, like we had some, we had some people, some coaches calling saying, well, hey, I, I heard you guys uh, eliminated the dead week. Well, no, we didn't. Uh, that, that has not been changed. And our board of trustees said, absolutely not. The, the dead week is going to stay in place. Um, just make sure that the information that they're getting comes from our office. And if they do have any questions, they can contact me. Uh, my email address, it's on the website, but my email address is pretty simple. It's E-R-Y at ghsa.net. Um, my extension at the office is extension 27. And my cell phone is 770-584-584. 5044. And again, uh, I stated it earlier. Um, I may not, I may not tell you what you want to hear, but I'm going to tell you what the policy is and tell you what's right. Yeah. And you've always been great with me. I know I've contacted you many times. You always come right back, uh, with a response. Um, so I really appreciate what you guys are doing. I know you have a tough job and so forth. And um, I'm hoping, Ernie, okay, that hey, I see you in yeah, Macon. Right. I, you know, you know, one of the things that we do enjoy is when we do get teams down there, you know, the last two years we've been fortunate. We've had teams that have not been there before. And there's always a, a there's always a, a higher level of excitement whenever you get the first time teams there. So we'll see you there too, coach. <clears throat> All right. Thanks, Ernie. I appreciate okay. it. Have a great you Saturday. Also, Thanks again it. for sharing. Appreciate it. Um, bye. All right. You too. Thank you. Huddle is the preferred video and analytics platform for over 6 million users and 150,000 teams worldwide. Huddle offers a complete performance platform, including the most powerful and flexible tools for video analysis with online tools, mobile and desktop apps, smart cameras, analysts, and more. For more information on Huddle, check out hudl.com or at Huddle on Twitter and Instagram. Hey coaches, this is Brad Hillegas, content producer at Huddle for the NBA, NCAA Division I, and high school basketball. I'm a big fan of Coach Furtado's podcast, Championship Vision, because it connects coaches around the country that want to continue learning and growing our beloved game. The X's and O's, coaching philosophy, teaching principles, they're all here. And that's a mission that we're working on at Huddle as well. More than 160,000 teams, including the best in the world, use Huddle to elevate their performance with video. But our collection of online tools is much more than that. Mobile, desktop apps, smart cameras, video editing, data analytics software, the list goes on. But our goal is to help 
coaches like you teach the game in a modern way, whether that's connecting with your athletes, communicating your game plan, or looking to gain a competitive edge. And if you want to see how Huddle can help your program, visit Huddle.com. That's H-U-D-L.com to learn more. And of course, keep listening to the Championship Vision podcast to never stop learning. Hey, this is NBA skills coach Drew Hanlon of Pure Sweat Basketball, and you are listening to the Championship Vision podcast.